good, good words. And uh, I love how uh, Becky's story really illustrates uh, the reality of what I want to talk about this morning, that we are touched and changed and we grow toward maturity through our involvement in Christian community, through our relationships with one another. That's the basic idea of where we're headed as we think about Paul's words this morning. Let me begin with an interesting analogy, uh, uh, an illustration, if you will. Do you have any science nerds in the audience this morning? A couple? Dave? Okay. Kim? We'll see if, uh, see if you know the answer to this question, all right? Um, what is the largest organism, living organism in the world? Hmm? What was that? Nope. That's a good guess, but not correct. Well, uh, yeah, you're picking up on my clue here, Tracy. Thank you. Um, if you look closely at the picture behind me, uh, you'll see what seem to be different individual trees, but in fact, they're not. Check this out. Listen closely. Uh, for those of you that are science buffs out there, perhaps you've already heard about this, um, or maybe this will be new information for many of you. But I want you to consider what's pictured on the screen behind me because it is a picture of the largest living organism known to man on the face of the earth. And it's called Pando, the quaking giant. The quaking giant. What is it? It's a grove of over 40,000 male aspen trees in Utah that have been found by scientists to share a single common genetic marker and a shared root system. So think about this. 40,000 trees in an aspen grove that share a single root system. So Pando has been declared by scientists as the single largest living organism on the face of the earth. It covers over 100 acres, 40,000 stems, or trees, as we might call them. I want to show you just a quick little one-minute video, uh, kind of an aerial overview of Pando, just to help you catch the vision for uh, how all-encompassing, how, how large uh, this community of trees is. Check this out.
So think of yourself as a single stem in the kingdom of God. I wanted to show you that image this morning because I think it's a great visual representation of the truth that Paul describes in the words before us from Ephesians chapter 4. It's uh, located on the southwest bank of Fish Lake in Utah. And as I said, it's, uh, it covers over 100 acres with 40,000 different trees as part of a single root system. The roots, of course, grow unseen and yet interconnected under the surface of the earth. And they keep the whole aspen grove alive together as one single organism. Today, uh, the survival of Pando is actually threatened, and there are many scientists working to ensure that it's protected and can continue to grow. But I show you that as an illustration of the principle that together, as the church, as the body of Christ, we form something much greater than the appearance of a single individual follower of Christ. In community with one another, Jesus brought us a sense of belonging, He brought us an experience of love, and those are beautiful gifts that we should value. We've talked about those things over the last two weeks, but he's also brought us something even greater. He's brought us together and given us a sense of purpose, a sense of purpose. Together, we grow more mature to represent the body of Christ Jesus himself. Now, if you'll excuse me for just one moment while you think about that, I have to grab a music stand because my iPad just died. All right. Praise the Lord for a backup plan. <laughs> the chart is not working for some reason. So, so let's talk about um, how it is that we grow together, how it is that God brings us into community for the purpose of our own personal individual growth and growth of the body of Christ as a whole, as a community. Here's where I want to begin with you as we think about Paul's words in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11, Paul's writing about the purpose and function and structure of the church. And of course, bear in mind, he's writing to a church in the city of Ephesus, right? And here's the bottom line. Here's the the, the first and most basic takeaway of what Paul's saying to us with these words. I think he's saying to us simply this. Spiritual growth happens best in community with others. Spiritual growth happens best in community with others. Now, you might be tempted to to disagree with that concept. You might think that you can uh, go it alone and um, find a way to grow as an individual follower of Christ. But God has placed us in community for our own benefit, for our own growth. And that's what I want to talk about with you first and foremost here. So think of these words in Ephesians 4. Listen closely for the collective way in which Paul is speaking uh, to, to all of us together and the way that we're meant to work together. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, we'll talk a little bit more as we go here this morning about what our sense and experience of community produces in us and how that works. But just, uh, just for starters this morning, I want you to think about those words, and if they're still on the screen behind me, look closely. Look closely for the description, the phrases and the words that describe community. Community. In fact, there are three specific references just in those verses to the community of believers that God places us in as followers of Christ. It starts with verse 12, to equip his people. That's plural, his people, God's people. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people. That's all of us. Secondarily, just a little further along in verse 12, we find another phrase, the body of Christ, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And then at the beginning of verse 13, we find the third reference, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So three phrases that I want you to focus on and think about with me uh, right out of the gate this morning. His people, the body of Christ, and we all. What do those three phrases have in common? They address the community of Christ followers collectively. They describe in, in different ways the way in which each one of us are meant to be placed in a community together together. This is, again, all about the purpose and power of togetherness. Now, let me give you another uh, scientific illustration since we've got our uh, science hats on this morning. Um, I'll tell you about a little experience I had this summer. Uh, we were camping in Colorado uh, as part of our family vacation, and we had opportunity at one particular campground to hike uh, just a short distance from the Colorado River. Now, if you know anything about nature and geography, particularly uh, out west, you'll know that the Colorado River is an amazing landmark in the United States. Why? Because it, it begins up in the Colorado mountains. It flows down through Colorado and several other states, uh, including Utah, and eventually into Arizona, where it's the Colorado River that shaped the Grand Canyon. But have you ever been to the headwaters of the Colorado River? Do you know what it looks like? Let me show you a picture. Where is it? There it is. The mighty Colorado River. It's just a little pond in the woods. Just a little pond in the woods. Wouldn't look like a thing. You'd never know that that source of water carved the Grand Canyon. Right? Go to the next slide, and you'll see a little point of comparison here. That's the Colorado River, just a little further downstream. Now, why do I show you that? Again, because what I want you to understand is that, that the river, the Colorado River, begins with just a few individual drops of water, snow melt, finding their way downhill to a place where they 
They flow together into trickles, and then the trickles become channels, the channels become streams, and eventually the streams flow together into a river. And that river, the further it travels, becomes mighty and more powerful as it goes. So those individual drops of water go from from insignificance to incredible significance and power. They become a raging force of nature that carves out, that has carved out the likes of the Grand Canyon. How does it happen? Simple. By the power of togetherness. Togetherness. The point is that there is unique strength and power in numbers, right? When you bring all those drops of water together, they share a unique and common power together that no single drop of water would ever have by itself. Now, as another example, maybe you can look with me um, at, at the animal kingdom, right? Since we're on the science theme this morning, imagine how it is that most animals survive in the wild. Uh, if I could highlight a, a specific example from another of our family vacations, I remember watching the wolf pack in Yellowstone uh, back 10 or 12 years ago and just uh, thinking and learning about how they survive together as a pack in the wilderness. Being alone makes them vulnerable. So they naturally group together, and this is true not just of wolves but of other animals. Strength in numbers brings protection and helps to provide for their basic needs. Similarly, consider this, right? The early church found strength in numbers. They came together and they shared almost everything. As you might remember reading from the book of Acts in chapter 2 and verse 44, we're told all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's a, a picture of the togetherness of the early church. But for the early church, as for us today, there's also a bigger concept at play here than the most basic needs for safety or food or, or shelter. Our togetherness as believers, and theirs as well, is more about the strength for moving forward and growing than for just staying safe. It's about how we most effectively grow stronger and more mature as followers of Christ. That's the purpose that Paul is driving at here as he describes the collective impact of the church. Now, we know right from the very beginning, when God first created man and woman, he, he created us to be in community. He created us to be in relationship. It's how we're wired because we're made in the likeness and image of God, and God himself is in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are made in his image as relational creatures. And so we read in Genesis 2, 18, uh, Adam was alone in the garden. And God looked and saw that this was not good for him to be alone. And so God created Eve as a companion for Adam. That's the way that the, the story of creation goes in chapter 2 of Genesis. The point being, all of us are wired for relationship, for community. And it's a fundamental need. It's how we are, are designed uh, to grow as individuals. Now, uh, there are some people, again, that rebel against this, this notion. They're resistant to it. They're uncomfortable with it. 
They're challenged by it. There are some people, even philosophically and theologically, that might disagree with what I'm saying this morning, although I think we could make a pretty strong case from Scripture that this is the way uh, that the church is meant to work. I'll never forget on another one of my um, traveling experiences, visiting a place in the Ukraine called, uh, it, it was called the Kiev Pechersk Lavra. And uh, it's a series of caves underneath the ground where uh, the Orthodox monks used to go into solitude to escape from the world. And it's now a holy site where tons and tons of visitors every year will go uh, to venerate these Orthodox saints, to honor them and to, in a sense, to celebrate uh, their asceticism, their, their withdrawal from human society. And I remember walking through these caves and um, some of the, actually the, the coffins and the bodies of these Orthodox monks are still there and people will walk through the caves and, and kiss the coffins of these saints. And I remember thinking to myself, this does not add up. What is wrong with this picture? And the more I thought about it, I, I, I remembered actually a quote that I'd heard many years before that I think applies in this case. I once heard uh, a, a good, solid biblical teacher say that, that in the old days, right, some Christian monks were so heavenly-minded that they were of no earthly good. Their, their philosophy, their mindset was to withdraw entirely from human society and relationship. I mean, I, I, walking through these caves, I remember hearing stories of a particular uh, group of monks that were, that, that were so, quote-unquote, holy that they... Um, that they would live in isolation in a cave below the ground for 15 or 20 years at a time. The only human interaction they had was with somebody who would bring them food. I'm sorry, that, that's not holy. That, that doesn't, that's not consistent in my understanding with, with the scriptural value of being connected to the body of Christ in meaningful relationship. And so, no matter what personality type you have, maybe you're really introverted and you're energized by that time alone, no matter what style of, of um, interaction with others you prefer, as humans, we were all created for relationship, for community. And as we build community and fellowship with each other, however that works for you in your own experience, we, we become stronger together. We become, we grow in maturity together. So simply, it's, this is not just about gathering a larger crowd of people. It's not just about having bigger numbers. It's not about counting more heads and filling more seats. That's not the goal that, that Paul has in mind here. What he's talking about is the strength that numbers bring because people, when they come together in Christ have more influence, more creativity, more ability, more skill, more compassion, more relationship, more love, more grace, more support, and, and more impact on the world. Our power is greater in numbers. Our strength is greater in numbers. Our maturity is greater as we come together in Christ. So what Paul's really pointing our attention to here in Ephesians 4 is, is how we help each other grow. Paul explained to the church in Ephesus that, that this process of finding strength together started with Christ, 
who appointed leaders over the church. But look at the purpose of the leaders. What was the purpose of the leaders? Was it to do all the work themselves? No. It was to equip the saints for works of service. In other words, everybody has a part to play. Everybody has something important to do. Everybody is meant to be serving the body in one way or another. And the leader's job is to equip people to do that. And as they do that, only as everybody contributes and participates by serving in the body of Christ, is the body united and growing toward maturity. That's what this all leads to. We are equipped for works of service by our connection to a community of faith. We are built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the end result that Paul has in mind. But it begins by understanding the value of being placed in community, together in community. So Christian community is not just a warm, fuzzy experience. It's not meant to be like the way I heard one pastor describe it as, you know, some some. Some Christians want church to be like a box of puppies, right? We, you know, we're just licking each other all the time, and we're just you know, full of joy, and it's all fun and games. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that, that's, not, that's not what the church is meant to be like. That's not how we are supposed to function together. That is a picture of togetherness, but not quite the right one. No, the church, as we function together is meant to become a powerful force in the world by demonstrating unity and maturity. That's the purpose that Paul is describing that's behind our togetherness. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have days, right? I'm sure probably you do too, when, when I feel pretty far away from attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Can you relate? I, I got a ways to go. I'm not there yet. But together, that's where we're headed. That's the end goal here. We're headed toward the fullness of Christ in each one of us and in all of us collectively. That's God's long-term design and the journey of transformation that he's leading us on. Along the way, all followers of Jesus are meant to be working together so that we are growing and being built up to accomplish God's work in the world. So let's talk then a little bit more about these two goals that Paul describes. That's sort of an overarching introduction to the value and purpose of Christian community. But there are two specific goals that Paul highlights for us that are really important for us to think about. The first one is unity, and the second one is maturity. And they're connected. They're related. They're symbiotic. So let's talk about unity. I want you to recognize here as we continue to look at and think about the words of Paul in Ephesians 4 that to achieve and maintain unity in Christ, we have to work together through diversity and adversity. Unity is not automatic. 
Unity is a spiritual reality that we're invited into, but then we have to work to experience it and to maintain it. So again, to achieve and maintain unity in Christ, we have to work together through both diversity and adversity. Look again at um, Ephesians 4 with me, but here I want you to just um, rewind a little bit to the, the verses that precede the passage that we're focused on. Obviously, Paul speaks about unity uh, in the verses that we're looking at, specifically verses 11 through 16, but the theme of unity begins actually further back at the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 to 6. Listen to these words and think about the significance of the unity that Paul's describing. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, you might think, oh, okay, all right, I can do that. But how? How do we do that? What does that look like? How do you live a life worthy of the calling that you've received? Here's how. Here's the description in the following verses. It's all about your relationship with other believers. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is all about unity. These first six verses in chapter 4, all about the unity that God has in mind for us as the body of Christ. And listen to the language. Listen closely to the language. Think about the significance of this. Paul says, make every effort. What does that mean? Well, if we're really honest and, we're, and we've got our thinking caps on, it means this is hard work. This doesn't come easily. We're going to have to press into this. We're going to have to be dedicated to this. Make every effort, Paul says, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If this were an easy thing for us to do, then it wouldn't take much effort. No, we have to make every effort because it's challenging. It's difficult. The point is that this, this can be hard work, maintaining the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It doesn't happen automatically. So, what, again, you recognize that what Paul's calling us to here is a connectedness in community that manifests itself in, in unity. Unity is the end goal, or the first of two end goals. So, how do we achieve unity? Well, it's not just, you know, like two people, right? It's not just by a few people that unity is accomplished. We aren't instructed to act like we're united or to kind of sort of be somewhat united. We are commanded to bear with one another in love so that we can be one in Christ. That's where Paul's encouraging us to go here. That's what he's exhorting us to do and to be. So with that imperative insight, I want you to think now about the body metaphor that Paul uses. He uses it here at the beginning of Ephesians 4. In verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. And then he uses it again in the verses that we've already looked at a little later in the chapter. 
Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Paul's describing the church as a body, a human body. This is another scientific metaphor. So um, I hope you guys are enjoying a good science lesson this morning. Paul says, together we form one body. That's what, we are lo- that's what our community is meant to be like, one body. And of course, he's talking about a human body, right? And so in other parts of Scripture, not just here in Ephesians, uh, particularly in Romans and also in Corinthians, there's lots of information about this particular analogy. Paul uses um, many verses and chapters to talk about the significance of this analogy. And in every case, he emphasizes the fact that the body, any human body, is made up of many different parts, but they all function together for a united purpose as one, right? So it wouldn't make any sense, as you know from Corinthians, right, if a single part of your body said, that's it, I'm out of here. I'm fed up with the rest of you. You guys are, you like, I just do not like the direction you're going. I'm, I'm, I'm taking off. I mean, like if my thumb said, I'm out of here. <laughs> the, the, rest of you, the rest of this body is a mess. I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. It just doesn't work, right? I mean, it sounds ridiculous. It's silly. Because we all understand how united the parts of the body are and how they're meant to work together to form a single unit. So Paul says in Romans 12, verse 5, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's unity. That's unity in Christ, specifically. Now, as I've alluded to already, sometimes our independent spirit gets the best of us. We don't want to belong to others. We don't want to have anything to do with others, right? They drive us nuts. They get on our nerves. They let us down. They disappoint us. They hurt us. And so we are tempted to withdraw, to protect ourselves, to isolate, right? Does it work? No. I mean, we might think that it protects us from certain things, but actually what it does is it, it cuts off our ability to grow because the, the body grows best when it's functioning together in community. Hey, kids, welcome back. Come on in. Find your seats. So Paul says in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, back to our, our primary passage, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Wow, that is an incredible description of a body working together in unity. And now here's one more thing about this analogy before we move on and talk about maturity with, uh, with, with the few moments we have left. Think about this. What Paul's describing is not just some random body. It's not like we together form any body, right? No. What he's saying is together we are the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, together in community with one another, in relationship to one another, as we relate to one another and worship together and serve together, 
We are the body of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. In fact, our unity in Christ extends beyond this congregation. Of course, it starts with a local congregation. It starts with a church where you're connected in relationship with other people, where you're growing in your relationships with those other people, where you're serving one another and blessing one another and encouraging one another. It starts here in a local congregation or community of faith. But I want you to know that it goes beyond that as well, right? We are united with Christ, in Christ, with anybody who follows him. And there are lots of ways in which that unity uh, gets experienced and, and manifested to the benefit and blessing of not only the church, those of us that are part of the church, but even to the world around us. Let me give you a concrete example. Um, I had uh, somebody come up to me before this, the service this morning that wanted to share another testimony besides Becky. And uh, I'm going to have him come. Zach, why don't you come and tell us about the meeting that took place last night with just a few minutes and describe uh, the value of the unity that you experienced. Matt, if you're in the cafe, get out here. Because I don't have to tell you, I can show you. There he is. Um, so, last night, I was a part of something super cool. Um, so, let me explain what you're looking at here. You're looking at uh, about 50 high school students representing uh, six different high schools that I know of around Lansing. Um, 20 or so different adults representing I don't even know how many different churches and some high and some college students representing four I think different colleges um, so altogether somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 80 people and uh, this event was organized by 18 year olds and the purpose of the event was to gather students to pray for revival in their schools and to receive an anointing from the Holy Spirit to be the ones through whom that revival comes. This is a picture of what Pastor Kevin's talking about. You can see the fathers and mothers standing around in the back. You can see people in the back who are praying down the, the grace of heaven on this whole event. There's people who weren't here, many people who weren't here who knew about it, who were praying about it. And there was an altar call with 10 or so kids who came forward. The girl I prayed with, it was the first time that she'd ever accepted Christ as her Savior, the first time she'd ever given him the keys of her heart to come in. Um, after the worship session here, everybody kind of broke up into small groups. The adults kind of spread out in the room, and right and left, there were um, people were praying for healing for people, uh, depression, anxiety, um, release from bondage from family stuff like like what you were sharing today. Um, yeah, there, there were many people from CCV that were there. Talked to them. Gavin was there. Um, Hannah Regas, I don't see her here this morning, but she was there. Tracy was there. Um, Mike was there. Sam was there. Um, Dave, uh, Dave was there. Um, this, this is what Kevin's talking about. It didn't matter what church you went to. It didn't matter what school you went to. 
we're unified in the fact that we believe that Jesus has something to say about our day-to-day lives, and we're praying for each other to be able to hear that word and to be able to live it out. It's awesome. It's happening again on October 11. If you want to be a part of it, you can come talk to me. Thank you, Zach. So unity is the first byproduct of community, right? In fact, if you think closely about the word community, unity is implied in the very experience of community. We have to be brought together around something that we share in common. In this case, what we share in common is the greatest thing in any one of our lives, which is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But secondarily, as we close up this morning, let me spend just a few moments talking about maturity in Christ, right? Community doesn't just produce unity in Christ. It also produces maturity in Christ. That's the focus of what Paul's describing in Ephesians 4. So unity is not an end in itself. This is, uh, this is about what unity demonstrates and what unity produces. Unity, when we're brought together in unity with others, it forces us to change and to grow for the better. So before we end our time together, we have to spend just a few minutes thinking about the, the, the power of change and how it comes in our lives. Because if you want to become more like Jesus, if you want to grow in faith, if you want to grow in maturity, if you want to grow in Christ-likeness, you can't do it very well without being connected in community with other followers of Christ. Ephesians 4.13, Paul brings this up for the first time in this passage. He says, uh, all these things happen, right? The church is called into existence and leaders are appointed so that people can be equipped to do good works of service so that, or until, is the word he uses, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then he comes back around to that same theme in the next verses, uh, verses 15 and 16, where he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So together, we are becoming mature in Christ as each part of the body does its work. As each person serves in the body of Christ, as each person loves others, as each person encourages others, as each person prays and receives prayer from others, as each person speaks into the life of others and allows others to speak into their life, we are changed and we grow. We grow in maturity. In other words, unity... Our experience of unity in the body of Christ is what produces maturity. They go hand in hand together. They're symbiotic, as I said earlier. And here's, uh, here's another. I'll close with one last little example or illustration from the science world this morning. And it's from the realm of neuroscience, which has to do with how your brain functions and operates. Are you ready for uh, 
all you science geeks ready for one more illustration. Neuroscience um, used to think that thoughts shaped actions. And there's still some truth to that, of course, but actually what scientists have begun to discover is that it goes both ways. And scientists and researchers are increasingly seeing that actions also shape thoughts, right? So the more often that you perform a particular action or behave in a certain way, the more that action gets hardwired into your brain and changes the way that you think, okay? So this is called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity allows us to choose actions that create new pathways in our brains. I practice this every day with my cross-country team when we do form drills, right? Why do we do form drills? I mean, some kids think it's silly, and they're out there just talking and messing around, and they're not really focused on what they're doing. But the reason we're supposed to do form drills is to think about how we're running and to practice running in the best possible, most efficient way to teach our brains that this is how we do it, right? So the action or the activity of the drill hardwires the brain to remember. It creates mus muscle memory so that, so that the brain knows, oh, this is how I'm supposed to run. If I want to run, this is the right way to do it. And then it becomes more natural to us, right? So I offer that as a simple illustration of the fact that, that our actions in relating to one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, praying for one another, our actions in serving one another hardwire our brains to think in a new way about the value of church. In this sense, neuroscience helps to explain that what we do by way of action affects the way that we think. And it will, in turn, affect how we change and grow. Most change is not overnight, right? It's slow. It takes work. You have to discipline yourself to act in certain ways over the course of time. Kim, yes. Yeah, please. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Thank you. No problem. And, and really, the point of the whole illustration is that as it is in the human body, it is in the body of Christ. Right? There are things that we can learn from the way that God has designed the human body to work that illustrate the way that he wants the body of Christ to work. As we serve in the body of Christ, as we act in obedience to the Lord, as we act in love toward one another, we get changed, we grow, and the body itself reflects Christ more completely. Friends, uh, that's really the bottom line of what I want to share with you this morning, and uh, I could probably continue, but our time is up, so let's pray. Mm-hmm.